0: Turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. As you're making your way there, I just want to ask you this question. What matters most to you in life? What are those things that you would say, these are my top one, two, or three priorities in my life? These are the things that matter to me most. And I'm sure that if we took time to go through all the rows and the aisles, we would all come up with different things that matter most to us. I know I have things in my life that matter most. I know my, my kids have things in their life that matter most. And as we go through our text this morning, we're going to see that Jesus shares with his disciples three things that ought to matter most in every person's life. If you're taking notes, our title today is simply this, What Matters Most. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that as we open your word, you would open our hearts, you would open our minds. God, we pray against any distractions, pray against wandering thoughts, And pray, Lord, for these moments that we have together with you, that we'd be fully engaged, fully focused in what you would speak to us through your word. So God, I pray that you would anoint my lips, help me to say only the things you want me to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You have your Bibles, John chapter 15, what matters most. The context, the setting, is just after the Last Supper. John chapter 14 ends where Jesus says, come now, let us leave. So Jesus and his disciples have left the upper room and they are walking to the Garden of Gethsemane where he will shortly be arrested. And while they are on this walk... Jesus shares what matters most. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean Because of the word that I have spoken to you. Friends, our first priority that should matter most to us in life is that we would trust the gardener. Say that with me. Trust the gardener. One more time. Trust the gardener. That we would trust the gardener. Now, in this passage, Jesus opens up and he says, I am the true vine. Now, what Jesus was referring to is, is he speaking, remember, he is speaking uh, to his disciples, he is speaking to Israelites, he's speaking to Jews. And what he is doing is he is reaching back all the way into Israel's history. When God called Israel out of Egypt and he set apart that nation for himself, even going further back to uh, Abraham in Genesis chapter 12... God continually throughout the Old Testament refers to Israel as his vine. And the intent was that as God moved Israel from one place to another, and as they settled into the promised land and spread out as branches from there, they would obey God's commands. And as they obeyed, the pagan nations living around them would look at the Israelites and say, wow, you're super blessed. How is that possible? And the Israelites then were to say, well, pagan nation, we're super blessed because let me tell you about my God. And and it was to be a really God's primary evangelistic tool for the world was to begin through the nation of Israel as they obeyed his commands. Well, as the centuries went on, you know the story. The Israelites had this unique ability to be able to complicate God's Ten Commandments into 600-something commandments. It is human nature to add complexity to simplicity. And just as it was God's intent for the Israelites to be his vine to be a a light in a dark world, it is also God's desire that you and I do the same. That as we simply follow and obey the Lord in our homes, in our communities, in our places of work, and as we go about life, unbelievers would look and say, hey, what is different about you? And what an awesome opportunity for you to say, hey, let me tell you about my God. But you and I have to go through a process. You and I have to go through, we're going to talk in a moment, about pruning. God desires that every single one of us bear fruit. God desires that you bear fruit. He he desires that the person sitting next to you bears fruit. Now, when it comes to bearing fruit, There are two types of fruit. Every person is going to bear fruit, but there's two types. Jesus speaks of them in Matthew chapter 7. It's going to be on the screen, and I also want to read it to you. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will what? Recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears what kind of fruit? Good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, thus by their fruit... You will recognize them. Friends, your fruit matters. Your fruit matters. Every person is designed by God to bear fruit, but your fruit matters. Jesus speaks here in Matthew 7 of two types of fruit, right? We've got bad fruit and we have good fruit. Paul, the Apostle Paul, expounds on that in his letter to the Galatians, He speaks both about bad fruit and good fruit. Let's take a look at what the Apostle Paul has to say. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, Paul says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division— envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is identifying for us what kind of fruit? Bad fruit. Bad fruit. Now, At the beginning, at verse 19, it says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature. Apart from Jesus, by nature, we will bear this type of fruit. That's just part of of the sin that's in the world and sin that is in our lives produces this kind of fruit. But it doesn't stop there. There's good news. Look at how verse 23 picks up. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your life. He contrasts it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What kind of fruit is that? That is good fruit. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and have crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit... Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Verse 22 says, the Holy Spirit produces good fruit. So by nature, you and I are going to produce bad fruit. But God, God does an incredible work. He does what no person can do he takes what is inherently bad and turns it into something that is good. Did you know today that apart from Jesus, you and I cannot bear good fruit? Our lives are created are designed to bear fruit, but fruit that is good only comes from a life that is rooted in Jesus. So what do we mean by bearing fruit? Well, We just read from Galatians 5 some practical examples that could be lived out, right? Jesus said in Matthew 7, by your your fruit you will recognize them. So it's going to be primarily from those lifestyle characteristics and traits that we're going to recognize one another. But more generally speaking, when we talk about what does it mean to bear fruit, we mean that it is to become increasingly more like Jesus, That in every area, every detail of our lives, we would become more Christ-like. In Romans, Paul writes that we would be conformed to the likeness of Christ Jesus. That is the ultimate goal of fruit bearing. That we would become more and more like Jesus. Friend, your fruit matters. It matters so much so that God the Father is willing to do, willing to take two actions to help you and I become more fruitful, to become more like Jesus. Those two actions are found in verse 2. Jesus says, My Father, the gardener, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, and every one that does he prunes, so that it will become more Fruitful. Now, I have with us a little grapevine here. There we go. The first action that the gardener takes in verse 2, it says that he cuts off. Now, we want to remember the context of the passage. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and also. There's two words in there that govern the scope of the text, and it says, in me. You'll see them in verse 2. You'll see them throughout the text. Those words, in me, govern the fact that that Jesus is speaking to believers. So as we take the context of the passage into the character of God, we want to ask the question, does God cut off believers from a relationship with him? No, he doesn't. God is not going to just all of a sudden one day decide, you know what, change my mind about you and cut you off. That's not the heart of God. God does not do that. He is more committed to you and I than we will ever be to him. He is faithful when we are not. So what do we mean? What is Jesus saying? Well, perhaps a, a, a more accurate translation of those words cut off. If you have a study Bible, it probably has it in the footnotes, and it means really to lift up. So what happens here as we have this, this grape vine, if this vine is, if this grape tree is left to itself, as the branches grow, they're going to become heavier. And the grape branches are not strong enough to support their own weight. So, as they grow, they will eventually drape and begin to drag onto the ground. Now, I'm gonna share with you everything I know about gardening. And I learned it in a couple internet searches. <laughs> so, bear with me. But, but, but the principles, the facts, uh, they remain the same. As the grape branch drapes along the ground, It is opening the entire plant up to uh, disease, to insect infestation, and being trampled underfoot. Simply put, unless the branch is lifted up, it will not be in an environment where it can produce fruit. So because your fruit and my fruit matter, the first activity that the gardener, God the Father, does in your life and in mine is he lifts us up. Now, I have a little little wire here, and we're going to lift up this plant. And as we, we might lift it up, we might not. Time's ticking. As we lift it up, it might be uncomfortable for the branches as they learn new paths, as they are trained to grow in a new direction. But ultimately, the lifting up is for the health of the branch so that it can produce more fruit, so that it could become in an environment where it is fruitful. Now, in your life and in mine, there may be seasons that we go through where we just feel spiritually dry. Maybe you've been there where you just feel like you're praying, but for some reason you just feel like your prayers aren't even making it out of the room, that you've hit this spiritual ceiling. There are others who maybe you feel like you've been been trying to follow Jesus, trying to to get closer to God, but for some reason you're just not feeling it. You know what I mean? We would call that in Christian language, we have a tendency of calling that being in a desert or in a dry season. And the temptation is, is to think that, that maybe you, there, you've done something wrong and, and God has cut you off. But the reality is, is that you are perhaps in a season where the gardener is just lifting you up. Because as this plant is lifted up, not a whole lot of fruit is going to be produced because what's happening inside the, the, the branches is it's learning new pathways. In your life, in those dry seasons, keep pressing into God. Trust the gardener. And as the psalmist said, allow the Lord to be your strength and your shield. He is preparing you for future fruit bearing. Now, the second activity that the gardener does is he prunes. Now, I brought with me, where are they? My pruning shears. When it comes to pruning, what a gardener will do is he will examine carefully the plant and he will find or note any leaves or any branches that look like they might be diseased uh, or might be insect infested. Really, he's looking for anything that is not healthy. And then he prunes it and removes it. So here's one right here. We're going to carefully untangle it and we're going to cut it off. In your life, God is going to do some pruning. Every believer should expect to be pruned. Some of us are going to need to be pruned with the pruning shears. Others of us... ...are going to need some loppers. Either way... Either way... Trust who? The gardener. Trust the gardener. The gardener is intimately involved in every detail of the plant. He knows the plant. He knows what's best for the plant. He knows when to prune. He knows what to prune. He knows how to prune. And the only thing that the plant needs to do is to allow the gardener to do what the gardener does. The only thing that you and I need to do is trust the gardener. Allow God to prune what needs to be pruned. Because what is he doing? He is preparing you to bear more fruit. We'll read in a little while that it glorify, you and I glorify God when we bear fruit. Believe me, friend, God has your best interest at heart because as we bear fruit, he is glorified. Now, when it comes to pruning, I'll get these out again. Some of us are going to have sin pruned out of our life and praise God for that. But not all pruning is sin. There are some things that God is going to prune out of your life that are not sinful. I'll use my life as an example. Excuse me. I love airplanes. Any airplane lovers in here? Any aviation enthusiasts? Yeah, awesome. Okay, I thought there were more. Anyway, uh, (laughs) there's like three. But... um, I, I love airplanes. I love aviation. I love it so much so. And my parents were, were so uh, generous and so gracious to me that they allowed me to start taking flight lessons when I was 14 years old. So at 14, I started taking flight lessons. I soloed on my 16th birthday, got my pilot's license on my 17th birthday, instrument rating, went on to work on commercial, ended up going to Florida Tech because I was going down this, this career path of I really wanted to be... Uh, An airline pilot, although that was the coolest thing ever, to have an office at 38,000 feet. God pruned that out of my life. And when God did, it wasn't the shears. It was the loppers. You see, my desire for aviation was not sinful. It just wasn't what God had planned for me. There are going to be things, again, in your life that God's going to prune out. It may not all be sinful. God may be pruning things out of your life to redirect you, to train you to go a new path so that you can bear more fruit for His glory. And when He does, let's face it, it's very likely going to be painful. It might be difficult. It may be costly. It might even be confusing. But our role is not to question the gardener. Our role is to what? Trust the gardener. Do you trust the gardener this morning? Do you trust that he is lovingly taking care of you, his branch, pruning what needs to be pruned, lifting you up when you need to be lifted up, and preparing you for a life of fruitfulness. Friend, trust the gardener. Now, when pruning happens, I believe that we see in Scripture that pruning happens in three primary general ways. God is going to prune our hands. That simply means God's going to prune the things that we do so that we would do new things for Jesus. That's what happened to me. Second, this is going to sound a little awkward, but God's going to prune our heads. He's going to prune our heads because he's going to prune the way we think. That we would no longer be thinking by man's perspective, but that we would be thinking from God's perspective. As scripture says that we have, we can know the mind of Christ. Third, God's going to prune our hearts. That we would no longer be living for self, but that we would be full-on living for Jesus. We see this in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse, I believe, 18, Jesus is calling his first disciples. And he says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Verse 19, Jesus said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. We see here when Jesus first called his disciples, if we can go to the next slide, please. He, he pruned their hands. There we go. He pruned their hands. They were fishing for fish. Now what are they doing? Fishing for people They have a new purpose. Second, what did he do? He pruned their head. He said, I'm going to show you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to give you, I'm going to educate you how to, how to do what I'm asking you to do because by yourself, you can't do what I'm asking you to do. It takes a re-education, a retraining of our thought process that we would have the mind of Christ. Third, he pruned their hearts. He invites them to come follow me. No longer are you living for yourselves you're now living for Jesus. You have a new direction. This is something that Jesus did when he first called his disciples. And in a few weeks, we're going to be in John chapter 21, and we're going to see that, that even at the end of John, this is something that Jesus is going to have to redo with his disciples. Spoiler alert, they go back to fishing. And Jesus has to remind them that they have been pruned. He prunes them again. And from that moment on, we have the birth of the church. See, the gardener is in to fruitfulness. He's so interested and cares so much about the fruit we bear because our fruit shows us that we are disciples of Jesus. And thus we bring glory to the Father. Friends, trust Say it with me. The gardener. Trust the gardener. What ought to matter most to you and I today is that we trust the gardener. Let's read the second priority that Jesus gives us, beginning in John 15, verse 4. Jesus says, Remain in me as I also remain in you, for no branch can bear fruit by itself. thrown into the fire, and burned. The second priority that ought to matter most to us in life is that we would have fruitful fellowship with Jesus. That we would have fruitful fellowship with Jesus. And I say that because not all who spend time with Jesus are going to become like Jesus. Namely, Judas. He is probably our most clear example of someone who spent a lot of time with Jesus, but at the end looked nothing like him. Second, as we look at Scripture, the Pharisees. The Pharisees had many conversations with Jesus, but but very few actually became more like him. There's also a a passage that speaks of a a rich young man who came to Jesus with much enthusiasm and said, Jesus, I've kept all the commandments, but what more can I do? And Jesus says, well, you have a lot of stuff. Why don't you go sell some of it and give it to the poor, then follow me? And the Bible says that the man was really sad when he heard that. Because he loved all of his stuff. So he left Jesus and he went back to his stuff. He rejected the pruning that God wanted to do in his life. He's the only person recorded in Scripture who encountered Jesus and went away sad. So there are times that, and there are people who can say they're following Jesus, but look nothing like Jesus. So what should matter most to us is that our time with him is done in fruitful fellowship. Now what does that mean? I have some family and they live in a community where every morning they have to pick up the phone or press a button, call in, check in, and say, hey, I woke up today, all is well. And if they don't, someone's going to come check on them. But so long as they call in or press the button, they can go on about their day. They check in. Many people, I think, in life live defeated as Christians because they base their relationship With Jesus on a check in basis. Check in with Him in the morning, have a little devotion, offer up a prayer, close the book, go on about our day, don't give it another thought until the next day. Now that's great that you're doing that, if that's you, fantastic, but that's not the abiding relationship that Jesus is looking for. God's not inviting us to check in with Him, God's inviting us to do all of life with Him. All of life. So, when the text says remain in me, some of your translations are going to say abide in me. Jesus is inviting us again that all of life would be lived in faith with him. As we look at this vine branch here, it's a great branch. Let's cut off Let's cut off a healthy one for the sake of illustration. The only thing that this branch has to do to be fruitful is to simply stay connected. That's it. It's just to stay connected. It doesn't have to do anything. It doesn't have to put any extra effort in on its part. It doesn't even have to, we would say, meet the gardener halfway. It just has to stay connected And as the branch is connected to the vine, the nourishment and the nutrients that is in the vine flows naturally into the branch, and the branch produces fruit. Friend, you and I are to stay in fellowship with Jesus through faith. That's all God is asking us to do, is that we would come to him and stay connected to him and follow him in faith the righteous shall live by faith. We live by faith, not by sight. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But what our human and sinful nature tries to convince us of, what Satan will whisper to us, is that, no, life following Jesus is done on the basis of how we feel, the things we do, if our circumstances are going well, then, uh, you know, God must be really pleased with me. If, if things are not going well, then, then God must be upset with me. And God, and I'm sorry, and Satan, and even our own deceitful thoughts try to convince us that fellowship with Jesus is something that's 100% dependent on us. While we have a part to play and a choice to make, God simply says abide in me remain in me in faith the disciples one night were crossing the sea of galilee they were in the boat jesus was in the back you know the story he was sleeping and as they were crossing the lake a terrible storm arose and the disciples began to fear for their lives in a in a frenzy in a panic they went to the back of the boat, boat and they woke up jesus and they said master Surely we are going to perish. Jesus' response is incredible. Calmly, he looks at his disciples and says, you of little faith. That's all he says to them. You of little faith. Then he looks at the wind and the waves and he commands them to be still. And all was calm. And what Jesus, I believe, was illustrating for his disciples was that Whatever we are going through in life, Jesus is in the boat with us. That while the disciples felt like all hope was lost and that surely they were going to perish, Jesus was still in full control, even though he was in the background sleeping. He's still in the boat. As you and I remain in Jesus, as we abide in Jesus, we remember that he is still in, we are are in the presence of the one who has complete authority and control over all things. So for your life, for my life, are you abiding in Jesus? Are you just resting, not in your ability, but in his faithfulness to you? Our faith, is not in what we do or how we feel. Our abiding, our remaining faith is in Jesus' faithfulness to us. That he is going to be faithful to you and I even when we are not to him. Is your faith in his faithfulness. What ought to matter most to us in life is that we would have fruitful fellowship With Jesus. Because as our faith is in Him, His life flows through our lives and we will produce much fruit. Yeah, amen. Amen. See, but that's what God wants to do in your life. And all He asks us to do is just remain in Me. Just moment by moment, do life with me, and I, God says, will produce the fruit in you. A tree is known by its fruit. So, so far this morning, as we've talked about what matters most, we've talked about trusting the gardener, we've talked about fruitful fellowship with Jesus, but there's a third. And it comes from the last portion of our passage. Follow with me, beginning in verse 7. Jesus says, If you remain in me. Again, there is a choice on our part. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 8, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Remember Matthew 7? A tree is known by its fruit. Well, my place. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Friends, what matters most is that we would have fervor for Jesus. Fervor is an interesting word. Let's say that together. Fervor fervor. What is fervor? Fervor is a a boiling over enthusiasm. A couple nights ago, my wife and I were making some pasta, and we had to bring the pot of water to a roaring boil. If you ever uh, brought water to a roaring boil, you know what I mean. It's just like, it just keeps going. It's boiling over. That's fervor. We're to have fervor for Jesus. We're to have fervor a boiling over enthusiasm for the things of God. Paul writes to the Romans, in Romans chapter, I believe, 12, Paul says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual, what? Fervor serving the Lord. Now, why would Paul write that? Why, why would that be the third priority that should matter most to us? Because you and I are going to have a tendency... To shrink back from the things that God is calling us to do and from the things that God is wanting us to do and become. Again, in a few weeks, we'll be in John 21. The disciples at they were, they had a lot of fervor for the Lord, but then by John 21, I mean I'm sorry for the spoiler alert, they go back to fishing. Somewhere, somehow. There was a loss of fervor. There have been times in my life where I have lost some fervor for the things of God. It's not that I stopped following God. it's that I wasn't as excited about God as I was at other points. It's an up- and down. You've probably experienced the same. that there have been times in your life where you have, for, for lack of a better term, have been on fire for the Lord. And there have maybe been other times where you've been a little cooler. That's life. But Jesus would have us to continually have fervor for him. That we would acknowledge the reality that we're fairly emotional people. And that we would have fervor, a boiling over enthusiasm for him at all times. And he offers us really two ways, two primary ways that we can keep our spiritual fervor going. He says, if you remain in my word. Do you know this morning, one of the most effective ways that you and I are going to keep our fervor for Jesus is when we're in the word of God. Is when we are continually in God's word for the purposes of becoming more like him to learn from him. Jesus says in verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. God's word cleans us. God's word prunes us. Second, Paul would write, and he says that God's word is useful for training in righteousness. As you and I are in the word of God, we're going to learn the new paths that God wants us to learn. The new directions he wants us to go. The Bible also says that faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? The word of God. So when it comes to keeping our spiritual fervor and remaining in Jesus, one of the primary ways you and I are going to do that is when we are in God's word, learning from him, trusting him, having faith in him. That's going to come through his word. The second way that we're going to keep our fervor up for the Lord again, Jesus makes reference to it here in this passage, is he says, if you keep my commands, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Now, last week, Pastor Brian did a great job speaking about this, and and he taught us that, that we don't obey God to love God. We obey God because we love God. And our obedience to the Lord is done out of our love for him. That is, his life flows into our life we, bite, we just begin to obey. So one of the ways that you and I are going to keep our spiritual fervor for the Lord boiling over is through simple obedience. That we would obey him in the small things as much as the big things. And when God wants to, when the gardener wants to prune, say, yes, Lord, here I am. What we would simply Allow God to do what He wants to do. So, trust the gardener, fruitful fellowship with Jesus, fervor for Jesus. We keep that fervor alive by being in His Word, by loving Him, and obeying His commands. Now, there are going to be things in our life that we're going to say, God, are you sure? God, is that really what you want me to do? And we're going to hesitate to follow through in obedience because we might be afraid of what it's going to cost. That's where the gospel comes into play. Paul writes that the gospel bears fruit in our life. We have a a verse here coming from Colossians. Paul says, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You know, the gospel doesn't just bear fruit when an unbeliever becomes a believer, but the gospel is continually bearing fruit in your life as a believer. But there will be times where we might want to question God or wonder, what is God up to? The gospel has to do with everything. I want to read from you an excerpt from a book called A Gospel Primer. And it's written by a Christian to Christians about how the gospel affects every area of the believer's life. Listen on the screen. It says, The gospel changes my view of God's commandments in that it helps me to see the heart of the person from whom those commandments come. When I begin my train of thought with the gospel, I realize that if God loved me enough to sacrifice his son's life for me, then he must be guided by that same love when he speaks his commandments to me. Viewing God's commands and prohibitions in this light, I can see them for what they really are, friendly signposts from a heavenly father who is seeking to love me Through each directive, so that I may experience His fullness forever. When controlling my thoughts, as described above, the gospel cures me of my suspicion of God, thereby disposing me to walk more trustingly on the path of obedience to His commands. So, as you and I are faced, as we come into Scripture, and we are faced with something that we feel like God might want to prune or God might want us to do, and we're like, well, time out, God. Remember the gospel. Because the same love that motivated God the Father to send his Son is the same love that he has for you in the keeping of his commands. When we doubt God's love, remember Jesus. Remember the gardener. And what he has done. At the end, verse 11, Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. There will be many things that are competing for our joy. There's going to be many, many things that we are going to want to try and get joy from. Jesus says true joy is going to be found in a life lived with him in faith and in obedience. And as we do that, his life is going to flow into our lives. Our lives will take on purpose, meaning will bear fruit, and God will be glorified. It can be a difficult thing. But at the end of Paul's life, he's imprisoned. And from his prison cell, he he writes to the church at Philippi. And he says this, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, and this is key for us, verse 9, that I would be found in him. I want to ask you this morning, can it be said of you that you would be found in Christ? Firmly rooted and built up that your life is a life lived in faith, trusting the gardener, in fellowship with Jesus, and excited with fervor for the things of God. As we close, we're going we're to pray. And I'm going to ask you, is your life in Christ? Have you been saved by Christ? Have you been forgiven by Christ? Is your life in Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, you you desire every single person to bear fruit, to bear good fruit, fruit for your glory. But Lord, we, we, we know that that is only possible when a life is lived in you. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never surrendered and said, Lord, forgive me. Would you just raise your hand, saying this morning, I want to give my life to Jesus. Raise your hands high, but amen, 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 amen. That you would be found in Christ. If you're raising your hand, I'm just going to lead you in a short prayer. I'm just going to pray, ask that you would just, just pray it to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I have sinned against you. Thank you for calling me by name. Thank you for going to the cross in my place. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I invite you into my life, Lord. Help me to follow you. Help me to trust you. Help me to love you all the days of my life till I see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Give a hand for those who, who raise their hand. Amen, amen. Second, some of us in here, some of us in here need to trust the gardener. There's things in your life that the Holy Spirit has already revealed, it's time to trust the gardener. If that's you, you're, 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 you're already a believer, but you need to let God prune, would you stand? If that's you, if you recognize today that you need a pruning. Yeah. Father, for those who are standing, we pray now in this moment, by your grace, by your Holy Spirit. Help us to trust the gardener. Have your way with us, Lord, that our lives would be lives rooted and built up in you, attached to the vine in faith, that we would bear much fruit for the glory of God. We give you, Lord, whatever it is that needs to be pruned. Take it. We trust you in Jesus' name.